This is episode number seven of the Individual One podcast. I am your host, John Ziegler. We're broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and we are distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the brand new bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the truth about him. The liberal mainstream media has completely lost their mind and can no longer be objective if they ever could have been. And the conservative, I refer to them now as the state-run media, has been compromised and completely co-opted. We, however, at the Individual One podcast, have most definitely not been co-opted. We will tell you the truth, good, bad, or indifferent as we see it. We really hope you've enjoyed the first six episodes of the Individual One podcast. Please subscribe rate, review, and share the show via social media. It's really important that you do so. We have over 8,000 Twitter followers already at our Twitter handle, Individual1Pod. That's individual, the number one pod. So much to talk about as we get started on this Sunday. It's going to be a big week. We've got President Trump going to Vietnam for the sequel to the Kim Jong-un summit. It'll be interesting to see whether or not the ratings and the attention that he gets for the sequel, are as good as the original. Uh, I am uh, somebody who uh, believes that basically Trump is being played. I think that he has given up way more than we have gotten so far. Uh, Now, I am open to being wrong about that. I actually hope I'm being wrong. I'm not hoping for Donald Trump to, to fail when it comes to negotiations with North Korea. But we have given Kim Jong Un everything he could possibly want at this point, which is stature and attention and respect and even compliments from the president of the United States meeting for a second time without preconditions. I mean, this, these are, this is breaking all sorts of long held U S diplomatic rules when dealing with trader with the traders, but (laughs) dictators like Kim Jong-un. So um, he's doing a lot of things that are very risky and against the conventional wisdom. Now I'm not against being against the conventional wisdom if I had faith in him, but I don't. And so I think he's getting played. He has shown constantly he is a very poor negotiator. And what he really wants is not the deal. He wants the attention. He wants the praise. He wants the adulation for even potentially making a deal. And and even look at the, the statements that he has made and even made today on Twitter. It's clear that he wants credit just for trying. He just tweeted a little bit ago, basically, that, hey, look, uh, everyone else has failed, so don't tell me how to do it. Uh, you know, I'll do it my way. Thank you very much. Well, if he had some sort of track record of success in this, I, I would be okay with that. Uh, I don't see that, uh, at least not so far. Correct. But uh, more importantly, he's setting this up so that he doesn't even have to succeed, that it's just a matter of trying. And this is classic Trump. I mean, in, in similar to this situation, we he's also praising the fact that we may have some concessions from China on trade with regard to them buying uh, our farming products. Well, that's great, except the reason why this is a problem and needed to be done was because of Trump in the first place. So Trump creates the crisis. The crisis goes on for a while, and then he may or may not, we don't even know yet, have negotiated some way to alleviate at least part of the crisis, and he wants credit for that. How does that work? Oh, I'm sorry, because we're living in the bizarro world in which we now live. That's that's the strange situation we're in, 
And he is exceedingly good at at least manipulating his political base into believing this stuff. I guess because people have very short memories. The reason why we have a China problem with regard to our farming products is because of Trump. (laughs) So you don't get credit. You don't get credit. I mean, when a kid makes a mess, when my six-year-old makes a mess, they don't get that much credit for cleaning it up. Right, and especially when they don't even do that, we're not even sure they're going to clean it up. They only—they're saying, "Wow, we've got a deal to clean it up." <laughs> Fantastic! Congratulations. But with regard to Kim Jong Un, so far he has gotten far more uh, than the world has gotten out of it, or the United States, or President Trump has gotten out of it. He's gotten virtually everything he wants, and all he's had to do is not fire off any of his bogus rockets. <laughs> Which he's probably thrilled with because all those rocket launches are an embarrassment. So he gets everything he wants. He doesn't have to embarrass himself with these bogus uh, rocket launches. Underground, there's every indication they're continuing their nuclear uh, exploration program. And uh, and he gets you know all sorts of respect and adulation and attention and an increase in stature. And he gets to stand face-to-face with the President of the United States. But of course, this is this is the fundamental problem. I mean, there's so many, but the fundamental problem with Trump is that Trump's priorities are not that of our country or the world. They're the priorities of Donald Trump. And of course, his fans don't believe that. He's been able to convince his fans that he is the embodiment of what is good for America, thus his slogan, make America great again. But that's just... You know, that's frankly just him duping stupid people. I love the poorly educated. They have bought into this. They have bought into this persona that he is America, that he only cares about America and everything he does is for the good of America. Because after all, his slogan is make America great again. Symbolic of that, another crazy tweet today. I mean, he has been on fire on Twitter the last couple of days. I mean, his tweets have gotten nuttier than even normal. Uh Correct. And, and I'm not sure why that is. I don't sense. I actually, you know, a lot of people perceive that when Trump goes bananas on Twitter, that there's a problem that's brewing. Like, you know, Mueller's going to drop something new. There's another one about, you know, fake Russian collusion today. Of course, Hillary's the real colluder with Russia. Stop it. Can we please stop it? I mean, why, why do we keep with this baloney? You must be crazy. When are you going to stop believing in something that isn't true? Okay, but the reality is that I think it's the opposite. I, I don't. I don't think that Trump is is uh, showing that he's concerned or desperate in these tweets. I think he's going nuts because he knows he's untouchable now. I think he. I think he's feeling free. He's feeling free to quote nut jobs from the uh, One America News Network, which is just a flat out joke. Uh, I mean that, and that's just the the tip of the iceberg. But so, keeping with the Kim Jong Un and his his envy over dictators and tyrants, he um, did you see that today he has essentially announced that we're going to have a Fourth of July celebration this year. Imagine that we're going to have, I, I guess, for the first time ever. This is the way he's making it sound. This is Donald Trump's tweet today, capital letters, so you know it's true and important. Hold the date. Exclamation point. We will be having one of the biggest gatherings in the history of Washington, D.C. on July 4th. Well, thank goodness we're holding the date because otherwise my July 4th would have been completely packed with other stuff. 
<laughs> I would never would have thought to save uh, you know any time for a, a a holiday celebration on July Fourth. But he continues. It will be called a salute to America, and will be held at the Lincoln Memorial. Major fireworks. Wow, what a what a shocking idea. Fireworks on the Fourth of July. Who would have thunk it? Major fireworks display, entertainment, and an address by your favorite president, me, exclamation point. Now, <laughs> that, that reads, that re- literally reads like a parody account of Donald Trump. We're, we're, save the date, folks, because the 4th of July is going to be big this year. Because <laughs> otherwise, in past years, it has not been anything. This year, we're going to have fireworks. This year, we're going to have entertainment. <laughs> now, the only, basically what that is, is here's what it is. Donald Trump has announced that he is going to try to make this year's 4th of July about him. Because that's the only thing that's substantively different. There's always been celebrations on, uh, on the, in the Lincoln Memorial. But this time, he's going to insert himself in a way that no other president ever would think of doing. And he's going to give an address, I, I guess, probably either before or during, knowing Trump, probably during the fireworks display, uh, all because he wants it to be about him. I mean, literally, the tweet ends with, your favorite president, me. Now, if Barack Obama... If Barack Obama had ever made a presidential declaration that he was going to make the 4th of July about him, Trump supporters would be already preparing their protest with pitchforks. That's what would be happening. That's what would be happening. Now, part of that would be, and I never thought of this before, uh, because I've always felt like conservatives, or people called themselves conservatives, were unfairly branded as racist. But I'm telling you, part of it is racism, whether it's conscious or subconscious. Because obviously Barack Obama is half black, and Donald Trump is, you know, essentially a white nationalist. At least in their minds, he is. But it's it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd that that Trump is doing this and that his fans, of course, are loving this because he's wrapping himself in the flag. Now, you know, why are you wrapping yourself in the flag? When you have nothing else, that's kind of like the last bastion of scoundrels, that and religion. So it it does. I've, I've always said that if if you're trying to interpret Trump logically and he really is worried about what might come down to him, the two things he would wrap himself in most would be patriotism and religion. Because when you do that, then it's you you hold on to a certain segment of the population. What percentage that is, I don't know, but it's at least 35%. Uh, who, if you know, if you're wrapping yourself in the flag and you're wrapping yourself in religion, those people are never gonna leave you, no matter what comes down the pike. And that has been clearly part of his strategy, whether, again, conscious or subconscious, or maybe a little bit of both, from the very beginning of his presidency. And it's been very effective because nothing has been able to impact his popularity among his base. Nothing. It doesn't matter what scandal. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, who resigns. General Mattis resigns, uh, you know, in, in protest over withdrawing from Syria doesn't matter. He fires Jeff Sessions. I mean, the Jeff Sessions firing, to me, is one of the more mind-blowingly ignored elements of this whole thing. Jeff Sessions, his attorney general, 
gets fired right after an election. It had nothing to do with the election. Jeff Sessions had nothing to do with the election. Jeff Sessions was his first major endorser, a hard and true conservative, exceedingly popular with Trump's base. And after the election, Trump fires him. I, and I guess he gets away with it because it had been rumored for so long. And I've mentioned this before. One of the things that Trump does, either by design or by accident and just gets lucky, is that he leaks something out, claims it's fake news. This is my favorite part. <laughs> the, the story leaks that, like, Sessions is going to get fired. He calls it fake news. It doesn't happen for a while. It gets rumored again. And with Sessions, this happened more uh, continuously than almost any of these other circumstances to which I'm referring. But eventually he fires him. And by the time he fires him, something that should be shocking is like, oh, yeah, he finally fired Sessions. And he did it after the election when transparently because he didn't want to do it before the election because he thought that might hurt the Republicans in the election, one by, I guess, demoralizing the base, but two more than anything else, showing how utterly scandalous it is. I mean, the reality, let's, let's cut it to the chase. The reason why he fired Jeff Sessions is because Jeff Sessions recused himself from the Russia investigation. That's why. And Trump was never able to get over that because he wanted an attorney general that was going to protect him. And Sessions wasn't willing to do that. You could argue that his his behavior, his treatment of Jeff Sessions is obstruction in and of itself. Not just because of his attempted intimidation of the attorney general, but the signal it was sending to everybody else. That's the important. People don't want to connect all the dots here. He was clearly sending signals to everybody else. Here's a guy who was my number one endorser, and I'm willing to crap all over him and make his life miserable and then fire him because he did the right thing in recusing himself from the Russian investigation. If you don't get the message, guess what? Guess what can happen to you? That's what Trump has done, and he's done it very effectively. But unfortunately, this is not the way a president of the United States is supposed to act. This is the way a dictator acts. A dictator does things like, transform the 4th of July celebration into a celebration of them. And so it's, you know, I don't think it's necessarily coincidental that Trump makes this announcement just before going to see Kim Jong-un in Vietnam, of all places. How, how, does, how does Trump get away with finally going to Vietnam after having dodged the Vietnam draft multiple times with a bogus bones, case of bone spurs? It's amazing. It is utterly amazing. The things that people who call themselves conservatives would go bat crap crazy over if Donald, if Donald Trump's name was Barack Obama. They would be going bananas. It, it's, it is, it, is that not true? Correct. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And the hypocrisy knows no bounds. So we'll see what happens with Kim Jong-un. I hope, I hope somehow he makes a legitimate deal. Frankly, I guess part of why I'm so skeptical is what deal with Kim Jong-un would be worth anything? What is his incentive to hold to keep a deal? This is this is a brutal dictator. Kills his own family members in cold blood. I I, I just but you know what? The media will give him adulation, and uh, probably uh, he'll declare some sort of bogus victory, and his his base will cheer, and nothing will ever actually happen. Because by the time Trump knows, Trump knows this is one of the geniuses of Trump that over time people will forget, 
And, you know, if you make a deal now, you or pretend to make a deal now, you get all the credit. You get 90% of the credit without actually the deal going through. And then when the deal falls apart or doesn't work out, yeah, well, we tried our best. No one else could do any better than me, so I got nothing to lose here. And Trump's already setting that up. He's already setting that narrative up. And the media, of course, will fall for it because, you know, the media, well. Idiots! Imbeciles! Now, um, obviously, this uh, Individual One podcast is named because, in case you don't know, maybe it's not so obvious, is named because in the one of the Michael Cohen filings in the Southern District of New York, the federal prosecutors there, when they uh, were charging Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's uh, former personal attorney, with uh, campaign finance violations, they referred to the person who directed him to pay off Donald Trump's mistresses as individual one, which was obviously Donald Trump. Now, this week, in addition to the Kim Jong-un summit, we have the Michael Cohen testimony finally going to happen in Congress. In fact, he is scheduled to testify for three consecutive days to different committees in Congress. One of which, on Wednesday, Wednesday morning, is, at least at this point, scheduled to be broadcast live on television. It'll be public. I'm assuming all the major cable networks will carry it, although I'll be very curious to see what Fox News Channel does. <laughs> My guess is Fox News Channel might suddenly find that, uh, you know, um, a potential, uh, I don't you know, well, you know what, here's what I'm guessing. I'm going to guess a, uh, a car chase is going to be very interesting to Fox News Channel, <laughs> right in the middle of Michael Cohen's test. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, we have breaking news in Los Angeles. A, a maniac is driving down the uh, 101 and uh, we're just going to carry this live. This is very important news. Uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll keep an eye on what's going on with Michael Cohen. And if anything important happens, we'll get right back to you on that. That's, that's my guess as to what will happen with, uh, with the Michael Cohen testimony. Now, it's important to, uh, I think, at, these junk, at this point uh, and, and these junctures in, in this saga, to take a step back for a second and, uh, and just consider how uh, insane it is that the president of the United States, his formal, former personal attorney, is preparing to testify to multiple committees in Congress just before he goes to prison for crimes he committed in part on behalf of and potentially at the, or not just potentially, according to him, at the direction of the United States of America. Correct. That's nuts. That's nuts. But what's even nuttier is this has seemingly had no impact on the president's political standing. None. None. And there's a part of me that thinks, you know, in a weird way, Trump actually benefits from having done so many things that are scandalous and potentially impeachable that uh, that he, he wins because of it. And here's what I mean by that. Let's take, for instance, the situation involving the campaign, fine, fi, campaign finance violations, which led to the individual one name, which, by the way, the individual one name came from the, the head of the Global Story Network. They came up with the name before they even had a host for this podcast. So, so um, you know, that's, the, that's a little bit of the history of the name individual one. But let's take that particular situation very quickly here. If 
If that was the only thing, if there was no Russia investigation, let's pretend there was no Russia investigation, right? And the president's personal attorney had pled guilty to significant campaign finance law violations in the 2016 presidential election by conspiring with the president to pay off multiple mistresses in conjunction with the National Enquirer tabloid magazine. If that alone had just happened, if that if there was no Russia investigation, nothing to wait for Robert Mueller's special counsel's investigation, which by the way, as I I suspected in the last episode, I you know, I reported that there was that the Mueller report was supposed to be coming out in the next week or two. And I said, that doesn't feel right to me. Well, it turns out that that's not going to be the case. So let's hold off on that. We're not going to hear anything major from Robert Mueller, certainly this week. And I don't believe in the next couple of weeks. But let's just pretend there was no Mueller investigation, that there was just this campaign finance situation. At the moment that Michael Cohen pled guilty, I, and, and, the, and the Democrats then took over the House of Representatives, that would have, I believe, instigated, at the very least, impeachment proceedings. At the very least, an investigation of this. This would be all we would be talking about. Because you could argue that that, in, in the course of a presidential election, was, is enough to trigger, you know, the high crimes and misdemeanors threshold for impeachment. Because these are significant. I mean, Cohen's going to prison over this. This is the president's personal attorney. But because of the Russian investigation, Trump is actually benefiting because, one, this gets lost in the mountain of other scandalous material. And number two, Democrats are waiting. Democrats are waiting until... All of it is over with so that they can have this buffet table from which to choose when it comes to what they're going to impeach Trump with. Well, but that comes at a cost. It comes at a cost because foremost among everything, Trump is still president. He's going to be president regardless. But the longer he's president, the longer he is solidified in the position, the old possession is 90% of the law uh, rule, which is figurative, not literal, but I think it matters here. In fact, with the presidency, as I've said, it's 99.9% of the law. So that's why we've never been able to remove a president before, because he's able to do things that will please enough people who will be invested in keeping him in office. And Trump has been very focused and very good at that. That's why he's so focused on the wall. Build that 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 wall. Yeah, yeah, Build okay. That okay, wall. we got it. We got it. We got we got we got it. It's never gonna get built in any significant way, but all he needs to do is promise it and look like he's fighting for it. And so the point of this is as time goes on, we're we I believe we've run out of time, or we're darn close to running out of time. Because I don't know if you've heard, but next year is an election year. <laughs> And so there, as little chance as there is for impeachment to get traction in the third year of a first term where re-election looms, doing it in the fourth year is impossible. It's impossible. Uh, I mean, look, nothing's impossible in this strange world we live in, but it's, it's really hard to comprehend how that happens in the fourth year. 
And so by the time Mueller, whenever the heck he's actually done and, and files his report, and, you know, the, the campaign finance stuff isn't even part of that. That's not even directly part of the Russian investigation. But that's going to get lost. Now, there are those who believe that, you know, if Trump loses in 2020, that he'll, he'll be held accountable by the Southern District of New York, you know, on a personal level. I, I doubt that. I, I, really doubt, I really doubt that after he's president, there's going to be the, um, the political will to go through with the prosecution it's possible. I mean, stranger things have happened. But uh, the, the reality is Trump would, be, would, I think, face some level of accountability on the Cohen finance, campaign finance violations. And by the way, let's not forget the mistress part of this. Whatever happened to the mistress part? You know, that's something that conservatives used to care about, but no longer. But so having covering up affairs with porn stars and Playboy models used to be a problem, especially when you're married, and especially when some of this occurred when the when your wife just gave birth. I mean, that that used to be a problem, but I realize all the the rules are different now. But I, I truly believe that if that's all there was, people would have focused on it. The news media would not be distracted, and there would be some semblance of accountability. At the very least, the instigation of impeachment proceedings. I don't know if he would have been impeached, but now the Democrats control the House. It's certainly possible. Now, he never would have been removed, but there would at least be some historical black mark on this. So with Cohen testifying, and it's unclear as to what exactly he's going to be able to testify to, my guess is that most of the really interesting or important stuff he will not be able to testify to, but there have been some interesting uh, potential uh, juicy leaks that have come out. Uh, the things that I'm most interested in, in in the broader overall picture with regard to Cohen it's not just the campaign finance violations during the 2016 election with the payoffs to the mistresses. And let's be clear. I want to make I can never repeat this enough. The, the people who uh, diminish that particular scandal, they forget the fact that part of what happened there was that the president of the United States took the oath of office knowing that he had willingly and on purpose, by design, conspired with the National Enquirer, which is a effectively a borderline terrorist organization, in order to spike these stories about his mistresses. And in doing so, he took the oath of office knowing that he was allowing this terrorist organization to have blackmail material on him. That cannot be repeated enough because no one else that I've heard in the news media has connected the dots on this. I've written extensively about it in my columns at Mediate, and it's maybe the most important thing that continually gets lost in all this. The president of the United States took the oath of office knowing the National Enquirer had blackmail material on him. And we don't know what the National Enquirer did with that material. Did they give it to Russia? Did they give it to Saudi Arabia? Did they sell it to them? Did they imply they would might they might sell it to them? There's There's strong revelations in the Jeff Bezos uh, scandal with his his now ex-wife in the National Enquirer, that he believes that there is a very strong relationship between Saudi Arabia and the National Enquirer. These are things we don't know, but they're important questions because there's ample evidence that Trump is in the bag for both Russia and Saudi Arabia. 
And and why is that? Well, he's got to be. He's already given all of his dirty secrets to the National Enquirer, and yet he took the office knowing that this terrorist organization had him blackmailed. What did they force him to do for them, or what did they use that information to get from other entities that would find it valuable, like adversarial foreign governments? So that, to me, is an incredibly important issue, but I don't think we're going to hear very much of anything, we might, uh, about that uh, during Cohen's testimony. The bigger picture, which I'm almost sure we're not going to hear about in Cohen's testimony, is did Donald Trump suborn his perjury over the Moscow Tower situation? That, to me, is, I think, the core of the Russian scandal right now. I've always been waiting for what is it that has been the motivation for all the lies. There's got to be something worthy of protecting for all these people around Trump, including himself, to constantly lie. And specifically about the Trump Tower New York meeting in June of 2016, which of course included his son, his son-in-law, and his campaign chairman. By the way, not only is the president's personal attorney going to jail, but his campaign chairman at the time, Paul Manafort, is going to jail. Uh, and, and has been referred to by the special counsel as a hardened criminal who kept lying even after he had pled guilty and agreed to cooperate. That's the president's campaign chairman. It's unbelievable. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable, the, the level of scandal that is involved here. And yet no one seems to care. Correct. So, uh, but to me, that is the key question about Michael Cohen. Did Trump suborn his perjury? He, he, he perjured himself in front of Congress saying that that deal for the Moscow Tower, uh, the Trump Tower in Moscow, that completed in January of 2016. And that is a key lie because the evidence now suggests that that didn't end until November of 2016. Now, gee, what, what happened in November of 2016? Hmm, I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Trump won the presidency. Now, we don't know for a fact that that's when it ended, but Rudy Giuliani, the president's current attorney, has essentially said that. He backtracked, but based upon the history of Rudy Giuliani's statements, it's hard to, to ignore the fact that he said, for all intents and purposes, that this went in through, in, through October into November. Now, let's, be, let's use your thinking caps. The only thing that would end it, the only event that would end this life, almost lifelong, decades-long quest by Donald Trump to build a Trump Tower in Moscow, there would have to be something huge. Well, what happened that was huge in that time period? Trump won the election. So at that point, even Trump realized, you know, hmm. I'm going to probably have to stop this uh, Trump Tower in Moscow project because I'm going to be president of the United States. Correct. So, I mean, let's just use basic logic here, folks. So why did Trump or why did Cohen, I don't think that's a a Freudian slip because I think it was directed by Trump, but why did Cohen tell Congress that that ended in January? Well, what happened in January of 2016? Oh, Oh, yeah, that was when the Republican nominating process really began with the New Hampshire primary and the Iowa caucuses. They started right after that. So why would someone choose to lie that January of 2016 
was the end of this Moscow project when it was really November of 2016. Hmm, gee, oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, it's because they're trying to pretend that Trump eliminated any business ties or potential business ties with the government of Russia before he really started running for president. Now, that's an inter- there's a couple interesting elements of that lie. Number one is, if he's lying about it in January, you know what that tells me? <laughs> that tells me there's got to be some really, really strong evidence that it was still going on by that point. Because otherwise, you would push the date up further. You would go, you would push it back to like summer of 2015 because that's before Trump even decided to run. That would be the ideal time, right? People would have no problem with that. No problem at all. You decide you know what, I'm running for president, so I need to eliminate all my ties with the foreign governments, especially with Russia, especially ties that might uh, offer bribes via a, a penthouse for Vladimir Putin. So because I'm running for president, you know what, let's tell Russia that this is off. We can't do it. Maybe after I run for president. That's when you would lie. That's the lie you would tell. But he doesn't. He lies and says it's January. So that tells you right there, he knows I can't lie any further than that because there's deadlock cinch evidence of that. But why does he get the idea to lie that it's January? This is Michael Cohen. Have you seen Michael Cohen? Michael Cohen is not a brilliant guy. Michael Cohen is not a smart dude. So how does he see? And this is what this drives me nuts when it comes to the Cohen lie. People seem to think that this is a normal lie, like the correct answer was yes, and you said no, or vice versa. Did something happen? It really did happen. You say no. That's a lie anyone can tell without being directed, right? You just know to lie about that. But this is not that. This is taking, let's just pretend for a second that I'm correct, that this project went all the way into November of 2016. How does Michael Cohen know to lie that it was January? How does he know, one, that that's what Trump wants him to do? Because he's very, very loyal to Trump at this time still. And how does he know what everybody else involved in the project is going to say? That's important because he's not, this is not just Trump and Cohen. There are other people involved here. So how does he know to say January. How does he know that? Well, folks, Oxum's Razor tells you the simplest explanation is Trump told him. Now, I think Trump is smart enough to tell him in a way that wouldn't be provable, that would allow at least some plausible deniability. Because that's the way Trump works. The way I think of Trump is I think of Trump, and, and Cohen fits right into this persona. I think of Trump as essentially Tony Soprano. That's, that's really how I see Donald Trump. Tony Soprano is uh, corrupt. He is not bright from a book perspective. Of course, for those who don't know, I'm referring to as the, the HBO character from the uh, very famous series, The Sopranos. He was the, the mob boss. But here's a guy who, um, who from the same region of the country, <laughs> who... Uh, is not bright from a book perspective, but is, has great instincts, is very street smart. And people, the, the essence of the show was people loved 
seeing him get away with his crimes. And there was always there was always at least some belief that part of him was good, that he was in, it's, even though he was ordering people to be killed, that at some level there was a part of Tony Soprano that you really liked and that uh, you, you felt like his heart was his heart might be in the right place. And and but the way that Tony Soprano does did his crimes is very similar to the way that Donald Trump does. And I don't buy into this idea that Donald Trump is an imbecile. I don't. I think he's in some ways a genius. I think he's in some ways a savant when it comes to manipulating the news media. And so I don't believe that there's ever um, a smoking gun that Donald Trump told Michael Cohen to lie that this happened in January. And that's where BuzzFeed got in trouble. This is the infamous BuzzFeed story that the, the special counsel, Robert Mueller, pushed back against and basically said was inaccurate. Well, I'm still not convinced that the essence of the story was inaccurate, and the manager of managing editor of BuzzFeed, Ben Smith, has direct messaged me to say that he agrees with me on that. And he's very eager for all the details to come out, that he thinks BuzzFeed will still be vindicated on this story in general. But I am doubtful that we're going to ever find out that there's enough proof of it. But I would love, and again, I'm not expecting this in Cohen's testimony on Wednesday that's, pu- that's going to be public, maybe in private, which we might get leaked out. But I would, I would love to know from Michael Cohen's perspective, did you feel as if Donald Trump suborned your perjury? And if that's not how this happened, how did you determine to lie about the Moscow Tower project ending in January of 2016? How did that happen? I, we need an answer to that. How did that happen? Because I can't come up with another explanation that makes sense that doesn't involve Donald Trump at least at least effectively suborning, suborning perjury, if not legally suborning perjury, which would be an impeachable offense. That's Frankly, that's exactly what da, Bill Clinton got impeached for. He suborned the perjury of his personal secretary, Betty Curry, in the Monica Lewinsky matter, which was nowhere near as important as this particular situation, especially considering the fact that there's ample evidence that Russia ended up trying to help Donald Trump win the 2016 election. Then there's uh, the issue of, did Michael Cohen actually go to Prague? This was a, the subject of another story. A story, by the way, for those who claim that I... You know, I I am somehow a victim of Trump derangement syndrome that I don't see Trump clearly. I ripped this story apart immediately. This was a McClatchy story from a few months ago that they said that Michael Cohen's cell phone had pinged off a tower outside of Prague in the summer of 2016. Now, why does this matter? This matters because if that's true, it substantiates a huge portion of the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier, which Trump is still, <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I'm going to, I don't know why it popped into my head, but I'm just going to use it because it, it's a double entendre. But Trump is still pissing all over the Steele dossier <laughs> to this day. Almost on a daily basis, he pisses all over the Steele dossier. Of course, the Steele dossier, uh, most famous for the uh, so-called P-tape allegation. Uh, much of which is much of the Steele dossier has not been substantiated. It hasn't been discredited. But if Cohen convincingly says he was never in Prague, which he has said on Twitter, 
then that would blow apart a huge portion of the Steele dossier and actually work very much to Trump's favor. Now, I don't know what to believe on that. I mean, Cohen proactively torpedoed the McClatchy story. He didn't need to do that. Interestingly, he did not proactively torpedo the BuzzFeed story. Now, that's important. So why would he proactively torpedo the McClatchy story about Prague, but not the BuzzFeed story about Trump suborning his perjury? So I don't believe that uh, Trump, uh, that uh, Cohen, there's that Freudian slip again. I don't believe that Cohen uh, went to Prague, but I'd like to get some some definitive information about that. I'd like to get that nailed down because the Steele dossier relies a lot on that visit from Michael Cohen to Prague. And there's got to be, there has to be some reason why Steele thought that or that Steele's sources thought that. There has to be something to cause that because the level of detail in the dossier is rather strong. I mean, this is not just a, 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 a mention, a mere mention of, oh, by the way, Colin went to Prague in 2016 in the summer sometime and met with some Russians. It's way, it's way more detailed than that. So I, I, if we can get to the bottom of that, that would be fantastic. And then there's this juicy report from the New York Times from a couple days ago that Cohen has told prosecutors about, quote, irregularities at the Trump organization. Irregularities. <laughs> Irregularities might be another word for uh, crimes. Correct. Um, now, again, this goes to whether or not uh, Trump is uh, an idiot and corrupt, or maybe an idiot and corrupt. It's po- both. Are, it's possible that he could be an idiot, or he could be corrupt, or he could be both. Um, I I don't believe that we're uh, we're going to find out that there were blatant uh you know crimes that are going to be provable uh when it comes to the trump organization i could be wrong about that i mean trump trump it's very difficult maybe the most difficult part of donald trump at least for me to discern is his level of intelligence because sometimes he does seem you know let's face it other times he's a savant that gets me back to the Tony Soprano metaphor. Tony Soprano was very much the same way. So it's it's hard to know. Is is this a part of Trump where he's so dumb that he could leave proof of massive crimes? You know, look, the New York Times, when they did their expose on the Trump family, when uh, Fred Trump had this very sophisticated uh, scheme to avoid taxes— which is how Donald Trump became rich to begin with. It was pretty sophisticated, but it wasn't, it wasn't genius. So, and you know, maybe Trump is, is not even as smart as his dad. So that obviously is going to be an area where people are going to be very interested to know, because if anybody knows where the bodies are buried, it's Michael Cohen. And then finally related to that, I would love for Michael Cohen to add some insight into Donald Trump's financial situation. Because as I have said from the beginning of this whole deal, the number one thing you need to understand in, in deconstructing the Trump myth is that Donald Trump is not super rich. He's not. And once you understand that he's not super rich, one, you understand that he's a liar, a blatant liar, when his number, the number one 
element of his persona is he's a multi-multi-billionaire claiming to be worth $10 billion, and he's probably not even worth a billion. He might not even be worth more than a few hundred million. I realize that's a lot of money, but that's nowhere near super rich in 2019 America. And once you understand that he's a, as a, a liar about the essence of who he is, you also understand that because he's not rich, that you need to reinterpret all of his actions. Because all of his actions need to be seen through the prism of a con man who wants you to believe he's rich, but who actually has some significant financial problems, which is why he will not show you his tax returns. And how he ever got away with that is is beyond comprehension to me. I do not understand. And his, his fans do not care. He lied about it multiple times that he would release his tax returns including, he said, when he, if he ever won the election. He said when he won the nomination. He said when he won the election. Never happens, all because of this bogus audit, the never-ending audit that he's under, which, by the way, doesn't prevent you from releasing your tax returns. I mean, the, guy's, the guy's been supposedly paying taxes for many, many decades. We've seen one part of one tax return, I believe, because it was leaked by Donald Trump himself because it happened to be a really good year. That's, that's all we've seen. And yet this is this guy who built his entire campaign on his alleged business prowess. Every other modern presidential candidate who's won a nomination has released significant tax returns, but not Donald Trump. And I, so I would love for if Cohen is able to provide any information on that. Now, I one other thing on the Cohen testimony. I am sure we're going to see grandstanding on the behalf of Trump sycophants on the Republican side that is going to be beyond disgusting. I mean, it's going to be... It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, it, it, we're going to see the absurdity of... Because, uh, you know, look, um, all these sycophants, they know who public enemy number one is now, and if they want to be on Trump's good side, they need to attack him. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter how much they embarrass themselves. We're going to see some ridiculous, utterly insanely absurd behavior on behalf of Republicans going after Michael Cohen. And I'm sure raising all sorts of red herrings and all sorts of crazy conspiracy theories. And, of course, there'll be lots of emphasis on the fact that Trump, that Cohen is—I don't know why I keep calling Cohen Trump, but it's interesting. So calling Cohen a, you know, a convicted felon who's going to prison, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's not about his word. It's about what he can substantiate, what he can document. And this is a guy who was taping some of his phone conversations with Donald Trump. And as far as— Trump's uh, lack of super richness, for lack of a better term, you know, this week uh, ends a PGA Tour golf tournament in Mexico. Now you're asking yourself, what the hell does that have to do with Donald Trump's level of uh, riches, uh, wealth? How, how does that relate? It relates directly. And, and um, I wrote a column about this a couple of years ago, and I'll probably share it again on my, my uh, Twitter feed today. Because it should be it should be shared every time the PGA Tour plays a World Golf Championship in Mexico, and here's why: if Donald Trump was really super rich, the tournament would not be being held in Mexico right now. It would be held in Miami at Trump's course, Doral National, because that's where it was held for several years prior to being moved in 2017. The reason why it got moved was because in 2016, in the middle of the presidential campaign, 
the sponsors of the tournament got very queasy. Now, part of why they got queasy might have been because of Trump's presidential campaign. They didn't want to be associated with Donald Trump because Trump, of course, inserts himself in the whole thing, makes sure that he's the one giving the trophy, and he was becoming radioactive. And so the sponsor said to the PGA Tour, this is our last year. We're not doing it again uh, next year. And the PGA Tour, ironically enough, took the tournament from Miami, Florida, where it has been in some form for many, many decades. It is a heritage tournament. It was part of the culture of South Florida. I used to go to the tournament as a kid. I spent some of the best moments of my childhood attending the Doral Open in Miami, Florida. So this is a personal issue to me. It's very upsetting that uh, that tournament is, is no longer in existence. And, of course, ironic as hell that they took it where? To Mexico. So it, it will of the many, many mind-blowing things about the 2016 election, it will always baffle me how Marco Rubio, who was running against Trump, who is the senator from Florida, never made a major issue of the fact that Donald Trump was unable to keep his own golf tournament in Miami and lost it where? To Mexico. Because if he was super rich... You know what would have happened? If Donald Trump was really worth $10 billion, or even close, here's what would have happened. The sponsor, I believe it was Mercedes, I could be wrong, One, it was a major car dealer, may have been BMW, one, one of the major car dealers, they drop out, okay? Here's what Donald Trump says, because it's very much in his interest to keep the tournament. One, he likes it personally, he loves, loves the ego gratification and giving the trophy and having the pros come to his tournament, but it's incredibly good PR for the golf course, plus it's a huge embarrassment in the middle of a campaign to have the tournament go from his course to Mexico, which he's basically running against the country of Mexico at that time. So, so we have a situation where Trump is hugely incentivized into keeping the tournament in Miami at Doral National. And if he's a 10 billionaire, you know what he does? He says, you know what? I'm going to sponsor the tournament myself, at least for a couple of years. Till we get through this period, you know, whether I'm running or not, you know, no problem. Here's a check. And if, you know, and if he's got everything tied up in uh, in real estate, guess what? The real estate market's doing fantastic. He sells a, a property or two, boom. Not even, you don't even need that. It's probably $10 million a year that you, he would require to keep the tournament in, in Miami. That should be nothing for a 10 billionaire. But he doesn't have the money because he's not a 10 billionaire, because he's probably not a, even a billionaire. He's a liar. He's a fraud, he's a phony, and he's a con man. That's why these things are important. That's why people need to connect all the dots. So that when you watch, if you happen to watch the uh, PGA Tour event in Mexico, I'm probably the only one in America that'll be thinking about this. Is this tournament is proof that Donald Trump is a fraud and a con man? I mentioned earlier Trump's tweet about uh, turning the Fourth of July into uh, basically a holiday of adulation for him. There have been a couple other really insane uh, tweets that I want to mention, and these are not even the most insane. They just I just want to mention them. The President of the United States, within the last couple of days, tweeted support for an individual's lawsuit against the Washington Post, which happens to be owned by Jeff Bezos, one of his arch enemies, and a news media outlet that, that Trump has attacked on numerous occasions. The lawsuit d- deals with the treatment that the Washington Post gave to a high school student by the name of Nick Sandman, who was wearing a red MAGA hat, a Trump supporter, 
Well, he was accosted by an American Indian, and the video went viral, and the media jumped the gun, rushed to judgment, and attacked Nick Sandman. Now, the treatment of Sandman was atrocious, and uh, it was wrong, and I don't know whether or not it was illegal. (laughs) The lawsuit for $250 million, $250 million, is, is a joke as far as that amount of money is concerned, is actually being brought by a friend of mine, a very good attorney by the name of Lynn Wood. And I have no doubt that Lynn Wood is going to get Nick Salmon some money. But it is incredibly dangerous from the perspective of press freedoms. One, for this lawsuit to be uh, filed for that kind of money. Uh, two, for the President of the United States to be openly cheerleading it. He actually tweeted, go get him, Nick Salmon. I, I, I mean... The President of the United States cheerleading a lawsuit against a major media outlet in a case that's not very clear-cut that the law was actually broken. That, to me, is is very troubling, especially for an alleged conservative who we used to think of, you know, supporting the First Amendment and the rest of the Constitution. Then he also tweeted belatedly that Jesse Smollett, I talked about that in episode number six, that Jesse Smollett... Uh, situation was, uh, you know, scandalous and wrong, and that Smollett had had insulted MAGA Nation because he had made this hate crime allegation that he'd been beat up by two MAGA goons at 2 a.m. in Chicago several weeks ago, and it turned out to all be a fraud and a fake hate crime allegation. I was all over that story right from the beginning. But you know who was not all over that story from the very beginning? Donald Trump. (laughs) Donald Trump bought right into it. Correct. Donald Trump was asked about it in the White House, and he condemned the 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 uh, the, the attack. He, he said it was horrible. He supported Smollett. He didn't say anything about insulting MAGA. Was he insulting MAGA when he believed the story? This is a guy who supposedly has a legendary BS detector. He's Mr. Anti-Political Correctness. What happened there? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But... You know what? None of this seems to really matter very much because Trump's ratings continue to hold strong among his base. In fact, they've gotten even better. And this is really amazing and important because it effectively means that nothing that has happened since before the midterm elections, which Trump lost bigly, as he might say, has had any impact at all. It doesn't it didn't matter. And I'm a big believer that, unfortunately, we're living in a world where almost nothing matters. And with Trump, it might even be stronger than almost nothing matters. I mean, think about all the things that have happened since mid-October. His ratings now, his approval ratings, are basically the same as they were in mid-October of 2018. Getting crushed in the midterm elections should have diminished his popularity quite a bit because he cost the Republican Party the House of Representatives, maybe for a very long time. He has had no blowback over that. General Mattis's resignation over Syria, no blowback. The Russian uh, Moscow Tower revelations, which to me are mind-blowing, no impact. The further uh, Mueller re- revelations and the uh, Manafort situation, Michael Cohen, uh, the, 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 everything regarding Russia, nothing, nothing, no impact at all. And in fact, you could argue that his ratings are on the upcline. The shutdown meant nothing. He got crushed in the shutdown. He shut down the government for 35 days and made a worse deal at the end of it than he had at the beginning. And his ratings are still slightly higher. 
And I am convinced that part of the reason, of course, there's, there's a great desire to try to rationalize that there's some reason behind this, that, there, that rationality still is in play. And I realize it's possible that maybe, you know what, none of this makes any damn sense because we're living in a bizarro world. But in my never-ending attempt to try to figure out how some of this might make some sense, I believe that there is a percentage of the population, and it might be even larger than I'm giving it credit for, who all they care about is Trump entertaining us. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? I swear, I think the more trouble he gets in and the more he gets out of it, people love it. Much like Tony Soprano. Much like Tony Soprano. People love seeing Tony Soprano get away with it. I think there is a 4 to 5%, maybe more, of the population that when Trump is actually at his worst, they approve of him more. Because you know why? Their lives are boring, and he makes them feel better about themselves. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? That's the sad state of American politics here in February of 2019. This week's official removal slash re-election prediction status for the individual on podcast remains unchanged. I'm going to stick with the 10% chance that he does not uh, complete his first term for whatever reason and a 43% chance that he ends up getting reelected. And that number is largely dependent on what Joe Biden does, the former vice president of the United States. If Joe Biden does not get in, that number is going to quickly jump over 50% because I continue to believe the Democrats are playing right into Donald Trump's hands. So that'll do it for uh, episode number seven of the Individual One podcast. Looking forward to Wednesday's edition when we will be reviewing Michael Cohen's testimony, assuming that that goes as planned. Please make sure you uh, share this uh, podcast via social media, subscribe to and rate and review the show. And until Wednesday, uh, my name is John Ziegler. This has been the Individual One podcast brought to you by the Global Story Network.